Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, July 31st. I'm Ashley Norwood, in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, education and the economy take center stage as Mississippi's worst month of the coronavirus pandemic comes to a close. Then, with a steady trend of high cases, the state's hospital system remains strained. Plus, how the new chair of the Mississippi Democratic Party plans to broaden its coalition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. School districts are submitting their plans for reopening to the Department of Education for review. Districts were provided with three options for reopening, including classroom instruction, online instruction, or a hybrid of the two. Because of rising coronavirus numbers, some school districts are now delaying their reopening or opting to go online only. The state is also currently operating without a past education budget bill. Governor Tay Reeves assures money has been transferred into the MAEP ahead of school openings, but says he will not call a special session of the legislature, citing safety concerns. Uh, we are not pressed on time. Uh, you know, when you look at our numbers of COVID-19 positive cases, um, there were an awful lot of community spread that occurred because of the outbreak that occurred at the Capitol. And it occurred in every community across our state. And so we do not want to bring the legislature back for a special session until I am convinced it is absolutely safe to do so. While unwilling to call the legislature until it is completely safe, Reeves continues to advocate for in-person learning as school districts hit the deadline for restart plans. Reeves says just as there are risks associated with on-campus learning, there are also risks associated with keeping kids out of school. We know that we are not going to mitigate 100% of the risk on either side of this equation. And so what we must do is look for innovative ways to reach what we all believe is the right outcome. And the right outcome long term for kids is that they are in an environment that is loving and that produces and provides an educational opportunity. During his press briefing yesterday, Reeves quoted CDC Director Redfield regarding the risks associated with students staying home, including losing access to mental health services, meals, and best learning practices. 
However, despite emphasizing these essential school services as priorities in his push to reopen schools, as lieutenant governor, Reeves actively campaigned against Ballot Initiative 42, a constitutional amendment that would have required full funding of the MAEP, thereby allowing more schools to offer or expand those services. Reeves says he believes school plans should outline ways to mitigate the risks of transmission in schools. I do believe that there are schools that have plans in place where they can mitigate risk and minimize risk and bring kids back to school uh, as early as uh, the second week in August. Um, I think that that's what a number of the districts are looking to do. Um, Not all of them. In fact, a large number are not. Uh, But I do think if you implement proper mitigation rules, um, ensure social distancing, ensure the kids are wearing masks, ensure that Uh, The teachers are are teaching in a way uh, that um, have either face shields or masks, that there are ways to minimize risk, mitigate risk, Um, and that is true a week from now. It's also true a month and a half from now. The deadline comes as Reeves adds eight new counties to his executive order requiring masks in public settings. The order now applies to 37 counties and is in effect until August 17th. As communities ready for school, as communities get ready for school restarts, state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers cautions residents about transmission among extended families, advising Mississippians to assume everyone has COVID-19. You know, we're seeing a lot of transmission within nuclear family groups and a lot of transmission uh, that's occurring just from, you know, interacting with that family member that you don't see very often or interacting with with folks and family members at, at gatherings like funerals. And so we're at a point now, guys, and we've said this before, where we need to act as if every single person that we come in contact with has COVID. And we need to act as if we have COVID and do those measures we need to do to protect us from transmitting it to other folks. You know, we know there's a lot of asymptomatic people out there that can transmit the infection. We know that there are people out there who, who may have minimal symptoms and never even recognize that they're infected. Wear a mask. This does prevent transmission significantly. Some advocates for traditional schools cite the struggling economy as a reason to get kids back in the classroom. The nation experienced a sharp drop in the GDP during the second quarter as unemployment continues at high rates. Corey Miller with the Mississippi Institutions of Higher Learning tells our Desiree Frazier how Mississippi compares to the rest of the nation during a time of economic insecurity. The U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis just released their Second quarter number for U.S. real GDP, which they said fell at a seasonally and inflation adjusted rate of annual rate of 32.9%. Um, that's a 9.5% drop compared to the prior quarter. Those are the steepest declines we've seen in 70 years. So we're in mostly an unprecedented environment. Um, we don't know what Mississippi's economy has done in the second quarter yet. The official number won't come out till the end of October. Um, but we figure um, to see uh, a similar uh, decline as the U.S. saw. Probably not quite as steep, but still 
we, we think it's going to be in the range of 20, 25% on, on an annualized basis, um, just for the second quarter. Um, again, that, that's worse than we saw, um, during the Great Recession in, in, in a single quarter. Um, but that, given all that, um, Mississippi's economy has probably held up better than we were expecting it to a couple of months ago. Um, and it's probably held up better, um, compared to some other states in the Southeast region and certainly some states around the country. Typically what happens in Mississippi when we have a recession, it's, it's our manufacturing sector that gets hit the hardest. Um, so in terms of our overall economy, our gross domestic product in Mississippi, it, manufacturing and the government are two, the two biggest components of that. And they, they haven't been hit as hard as we've seen in a typical recession. Um, so, uh, in, in some sense, um, think, obviously things aren't good, but in some sense we're, we're doing, um, better than some of our neighbors and, and what we thought we couple months ago. The unemployment benefits that added $600, do you think that that helped our economy? I think it did. Uh, I think if you look at some of our like our sales tax numbers, uh, those have been surprisingly strong in the past uh, two, three, four months, um, and, and that may have something to do with it. Uh, that's that's a question I think economists around the country are asking what's going to happen in these individual states if that some of these benefits that the federal government has been providing during the pandemic, um, if they cease. Which um, they just they, did. Yeah, well, you know, they could always... Uh, Put another one in place. Right. Mm-hmm. Enact something again. Um, so we'll have to see how much of this activity... Uh, changes if if we don't get a uh, extension or replacement of, of those type of benefits. Okay, well, Corey Miller, we really appreciate you speaking with us and helping us to understand uh, some of this information. Sure. Miller says the state's leisure and hospitality industries have also suffered because of the pandemic. When asked about the second quarter economic numbers yesterday, Governor Reeves politicized the question, echoing rhetoric from the Trump administration. And so to me, the question that every American has to ask themselves is, do we want to vote for someone in November? Because let's keep in mind that this entire uh, economic calamity that occurred in the second quarter in the U.S., was not a result of, of bad public policy. It was a result of the China virus being unleashed uh, upon the world. And so what every American's got to ask themselves when they go vote in November is, would I rather uh, elect a leader that led us to 2017, 18, and 2019, one of the greatest economic recoveries in American history, or would I like to go back to the economic policies of um, Obama and Biden, in which we had the slowest economic recovery on record in the history of America. And I think that's a fairly easy uh, question to answer, and I think it's a fairly easy answer. Coming up, how the new chair of the Mississippi Democratic Party plans to broaden its coalition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. 
Join me on Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast about the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. And of course, all of MPB's other great podcasts are there too. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Coming August 1st to your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. Coronavirus cases are on the rise in Mississippi and hospitals are preparing for more COVID-19 positive patients. Medical experts like Dr. Jonathan Wilson says these impending cases could overwhelm the healthcare system. Wilson is the incident manager and chief administrative officer at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He tells our Kobe Vance if coronavirus hospitalizations increase beyond what the hospital can handle, it will be difficult to maintain the standard of care Mississippians expect. The other hospitals around the state are now equally as full. And so finding a uh, intensive care unit bed around the state is quite a challenge for a patient that's critically ill. And so our teams that um, manage those type movements on a daily basis uh, have really been uh, stressed to try to find the right bed for patients around the state. And how has that changed healthcare within your hospital? Uh, well, right now, to be honest, we're running two hospitals inside of one brick and mortar. Um, we have a COVID hospital and a non-COVID hospital. You know, we still see the same number of heart attacks and strokes, you know, trauma victims, um, and everything else comes through our doors just as it did before COVID-19. It's just that COVID-19 is now occupying a lot of capacity that we didn't have to um, deal with beforehand. And so trying to manage those two patient populations uh, within one hospital really puts a strain on all of our resources, both number of beds and, and what we can physically have open, as well as our, our staff and our physicians um, are really stretched the limit. What are we going to, where do you think we might be in two weeks from now when we see, hosp- when we see, you know, new cases over the thousands every single day, it seems. Are you concerned that in the, in the next few weeks, we you might have to um, go from the 30% COVID, 74% um, regular hospitalizations to even uh, more COVID hospitalizations? Yes, sir. And, and a short answer is yes, absolutely. That's what we're concerned about. If if the COVID nineteen case rates continue to proliferate, proliferate, excuse me, as quickly as they are um, with community spread, we know that we're seeing roughly eighty to ninety hospitalizations for every one thousand cases of COVID nineteen that we see. Now the hospital admissions tend to uh, lag behind the new case reports by about a week to 10 days. Um, so we know that even if we were to start seeing our total case numbers flatten out, we've still got a week to 10 days where we're going to see continued hospital admissions across the state. And really the concern is if we get much more stress or pressure on our healthcare system, it's going to break. Uh, you know, we've talked about a, we've talked about breaking the healthcare system in the past, um, and since we're getting closer to it, I'd, I'd like to get a little bit of time. What does that look like? Uh, what is it going to look like whenever you have to say, "Okay, we cannot care for patients in the same way that they need anymore"? So um, that is something that has been contemplated, and um, we 
have a term called alternate standards of care. Um, so you have three phases of alternate standards of care. You have um, your normal um, operations, contingency operations, and then crisis. And we are in contingency right now. Um, but when you get to the next phase of crisis standards of care, that's when you have to start altering really how we take care of patients. And so instead of having um, one nurse take care of two patients, that one nurse may have to take care of three or four patients. Um, we may not give bed baths as frequently as we do or, or some of the other things that we do on a normal operation if we are spreading out and putting patients um, in non-traditional areas of the hospital, then we also have to change our staffing patterns um, to be able to accommodate that. And will the, are these things that are only going to impact COVID patients, or will this impact every person seeking hospitalizations? Yes, sir. It would impact every patient. Um, to be honest right now, our problem is really non-COVID intensive care unit um, needs. Now, that, that's driven because of COVID-19 occupying some of the resources we would normally have available in our intensive care units. But since those resources aren't available, then we really have a limited amount of capacity for non-COVID-related emergencies. Will people be able to get care in the, in the next few weeks if, if coronavirus cases continue to take up space in hospitals? I can tell you we will do the best we can. I have no crystal ball to be able to forecast what the future will look like, um, not for tomorrow and not for two weeks and, and not beyond. Um, I can just tell you that we will use every resource we have available at, at the medical center to take care of the patients as best we can. Um, but if cases continue to climb and we continue to have a strain on our system, um, how we provide care and what the normal accepted uh, level of care is today may not be the same in the future if we continue to see a strain due to COVID-19. Um, so if we were going to, um, let's say we had a patient that um, had a uh, diabetes issue, um, maybe they needed some help managing their diabetes, that may be something that we have to do on a follow-up clinic visit and have a series of clinic visits rather than admitting the patient to the hospital because there's no room in the hospital. So we really have to go from um, triaging um, how we take care of patients and shift that thought process around triage on how we admit patients as well. You know, a lot of folks are calling our healthcare providers and, and nurses and uh, physicians and therapists and ancillary folks as being the front line on COVID-19. And as she put it, we're really the last line of defense for COVID-19. The front line of defense is with the general public um, heeding the advice of our experts and wearing a mask, avoiding large groups, staying six feet apart, washing our hands, and staying away from sick, sick individuals and not going to work sick. So there are a lot of things that we can do individually that would be much more impactful than anything I can do um, from the medical center's perspective. Dr. Jonathan Wilson is the incident manager and chief administrative officer at UMMC.
If you have questions or concerns about the coronavirus pandemic, tune in to MPB TV, Think Radio, or online Wednesday, August 5th for a special at issue. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs will be answering your questions live starting at 7 p.m. To submit your questions, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, how the new chair of the Mississippi Democratic Party plans to broaden its coalition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. I'm Ashley Norwood. A retired judge is taking the helm of the Mississippi Democratic Party with the goal of diversifying its ranks. New Mississippi Democratic Party chair, retired Judge Tyree Irving, says the party must be more racially diverse to prevail in the state. Irving, who has served in leadership roles in the party at the county level, tells our Desiree Frazier he wants to dismantle the narrative that the Democratic Party caters to one race. I'm committed, and again, uh, when I tell people, I tell when I answer this question, I tell them uh, I'm speaking with a clear mind. Uh, my vision is to turn this state blue. Now, I know that's a tall order, and I know that takes some time. Uh, but I think I have the uh, communication skills, uh, the honesty, and the integrity to engage uh, other folks, uh, white folks who are, have fled this party, uh, to the Republican Party, I believe just a good, uh, honest discussion, being frank and, and, and uh, being honest, uh, will um, uh, I can bring some of them into this party. I didn't uh, take this position to preside over an all-black party. Uh, I recognize that we are only we, meaning blacks, <clears throat> and if we're going to uh, prevail as Democrats statewide. Uh, we have to have, uh, you know, whites uh, actively involved in the party. And in order to, you know, get that the way it needs to be, uh, we have to each come together and have some frank discussions about how we go forward. Most Mississippians uh, are not rich enough to be Republicans, and that include white Mississippians uh, as well. They're just not. I mean, you don't have enough money. There's so many white Mississippians, uh, in my judgment, that vote against their economic interests all the time. I think I, want, I, I, think I can be helpful in showing them why, uh, that that's what they're doing, and that there's a home for them in the Democratic Party. And when you and say I they vote them. against their interests, what do you mean by that? Well, I, the, the history of the Democratic Party, that most of the programs uh, that – you might refer to as safety nets or provide assistance for poor people uh, and people and assistance uh, that they will need uh, in their golden years, beginning uh, back in the 30s with the institution of the Social Security uh, program, uh, Medicare, 
uh, all of these programs were bought, uh, started by, uh, I mean, was you know, at the uh, result of the Dem- Democratic administrations. Uh, and many uh, whites in this state uh, don't even know uh, that the majority of public uh, assistance that is received in the state is, is, uh, is received by white folks. Um, I think there's been a concerted effort to paint a picture <clears throat> that uh, Democrats are all about uh, just giving away money and stuff to lazy black people who are not working, who don't want to work. And quite frankly, uh, that's just not the truth. And I'm going to speak the truth on with statistics uh, about what white folks are receiving in the state and explain to them that Republicans have voted against all of that stuff and continue to do so. And uh, just the average person who's not keeping up with this stuff on a daily basis uh, just doesn't know. And if they knew what we were doing and what we have done and what we are fighting for right now, uh, I think, you know, attitudes would begin to change. Do you think it's messaging that kept the state party um, from being able to present candidates that could win statewide office? It seemed like Democrats weren't able to gain momentum. Well, it's it's just not messaging uh, during one campaign. I'm talking about historically. Uh, you know, you've got ideas that are baked in the heads of folks right now. And I, you've got to change, you know, uh, the beautiful things. And the way you've got to change that is, is, is have a clear message. Uh, and it has to be continuous so people understand. Retired Judge Tyree Irving is the new chairman of the Mississippi Democratic Party. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.